Hi friend, it's 2020. If you're anything like me, this year has been hard. Have you had days that feel confusing, disappointing, or just totally overwhelming? Especially in times like these, and really no matter what life stage you're currently in, do you find yourself looking for something real? Do you ever stay up late at night wondering if there's more to this world than the chaos in your social media feed? Maybe like me, you wonder about things like restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. And truth, I am on an imperfect journey of pursuing Jesus Christ and what it looks like to find those things in a relationship with Him. It's a journey I committed to years ago when I dedicated my life to following Christ, and it's a journey I invite friends to explore with me, even if, and honestly, especially if you're just not so sure about Jesus. So for those who are wandering, wondering, skeptical, or just need some encouragement, we all need encouragement these days, don't we? This podcast is for you. Please come along with me as we journey together towards finding something real. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, I am so excited that you are back listening to season three of the podcast where I've been talking with guests about what I think are some pretty tough questions about the Christian faith. And before I get going and chatting with today's guest, I have a very special co-host that I wanted to introduce today. So far on the Finding Something Real podcast, I've had several international friends and family join me as occasional co-hosts. My exchange daughters from Italy, from the Netherlands, and Sweden have all been on here, and friends from Germany and Norway. But up until now, you might have thought that today's co-host was a phantom of my imagination, but I am here to tell you she is real. <laughs> it is 5.45 in Taiwan. Um. And uh, welcome, Ruby Kuo from uh, Taiwan. Thank you for being here, Ruby. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm really glad because initially uh, when I asked you about co-hosting with me back in March or April, you were like, no way. And then a couple minutes a couple months later, you were asking me about podca- um, podcasting because you decided you wanted to have a podcast. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, I decided to do one by myself. (laughs) (laughs) So once I knew you were okay with podcasts, I kept on asking. Yes. (laughs) So I'm really glad. I'm really glad you came on here. I know that today's question is one that you've asked, and I'm so excited about our guest today. She is an itinerant speaker with RZIM. She graduated from Roberts Wesleyan College with a degree in criminal justice and sociology, and also from Mary Grove College with a master's degree in social justice. She has addressed major issues surrounding faith to diverse audiences, um, whether at universities or at prisons. She loves engaging with the person who finds Christianity ugly or unbelievable. She fully understands that there is confusing and misleading information about Christianity and Jesus in our societies today, and she also welcomes every invitation that allows her to communicate the true message of the Bible. Welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast, Alicia Wood. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me, Janelle. And thank you, Ruby, for waking up at a crazy time in the morning in order to be able to <laughs> co-host this session with us. Really appreciate having you here, Ruby. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and I'm excited too. Alicia, we're not related, but we have the same last name, which, you know, must mean that we're kindred spirits. It must be so. <laughs> It's a sign. You're the fourth speaker I've had on here from RZIM, uh, previously spoken with Brandon Cleaver and Yulia Garshagen, Casey Lander, and now you. As I was telling you before we uh, pressed record, I have been completely blown away by your organization, the combination of truth and love that has been so evident in every conversation that I've had with anyone associated with RZIM. Um, it's been amazing and I'm so grateful. So thank you so much for being part. <laughs> thank you. I'm just really glad to have to hear that you've had those experiences uh, with us. And now you've set the bar really high for me. So way to go. Thanks for telling me that from the beginning. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. And let me just say last night when I was Googling you and trying to find some different things that you had done on YouTube, I thought, oh my gosh, I bet I've watched her before on YouTube because I used to watch videos of Nabil Qureshi like crazy um, right around the time that he passed away. I think, was that three years ago around this time of mm -hmm. year? Yeah. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, I've watched this girl before. So I've set the bar high, but there was already some intimidation going on into this. So I just want to put that out there. <laughs> Yeah, I think probably my most watched video on YouTube was probably a question and answer I did with Nabil and Kim and McAllister. And that mm -hmm. was, I was not even one year into doing apologetics. I was very young into it at the time. And so it's like, that's one I think most people have watched. And I'm like, oh man, what did I even say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you did a great job. Would you mind telling us your story? How did you become a Christian? And how did talking about faith questions become your passion? Yeah. So, uh, I, I guess I would say, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, which to be honest means nothing in the sense of, um, I, you know, I, I definitely think that no matter where you grow up, we all get to the point in our lives that we decide for ourselves what we will believe in. Is it what mommy and daddy told us is true? Or do we come to the point where we decide for ourselves what truth actually is? And what, and if, and if um, what they were telling us is something we actually want to continue following, or we actually think that truth leads in a different direction. And so I did grow up in a Christian home, but I was always the person who had a lot of questions, right? I was that annoying kid in math class who had a million and one questions because I had to understand every last little detail about everything. I love math. I love numbers and, 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 you know, putting things together and, and, and logic and all of these things that was always kind of me. So I always had a lot of questions. And I always wanted to find somebody I could ask questions to. And so while that was my general approach to things in life, it was, of course, going to be my approach to things in the Bible. Mm. And so I, from a young age, questioned and tried to dig deeper into the Bible to understand more about the things I was reading and more about things that maybe I didn't understand yet. I remember being very young, somewhere around eight, nine, maybe 10. And I had these two questions that I just couldn't get anybody to answer for me. And I'd walk around church, try and find somebody who could answer these questions. And the two questions were this. Number one, what, I couldn't understand this whole Trinity thing. Somebody explain this Trinity. How could Jesus be on the cross and then be God in heaven and all these kind of things. It was just really confusing for me. And the second question that I, ha that I would ask people is what if there was no God, what would there be? Hmm. Like, there couldn't be empty space because something had to create the space. And if there was space, it couldn't be black because somebody had to create the black 
that the space was the color of. Like I just couldn't figure out what what did absolute nothingness look like? Like what was the substance of nothingness and these kind of things, you know? And and so I, I would just ask these questions. Um, and so you could see from a young age, I always had big questions. I, I wanted to understand Christianity more, just like I want to understand things in life more than just on a surface level. And I got to college and everything got a little more difficult. And I began to question and I began to wonder whether or not this was true and wonder whether or not there was, um, I really just was like, there is no God. I got to where there is no God. And keep in mind, I was in a, a Christian college in a Bible class with an amazing Bible professor. Mm. And I was like, I just don't believe this stuff anymore. And, um, and so I really had to deal with that. Um, first time in my life, I'm like, okay, so that means, so there's nothing beyond this world. That was a very surreal kind of moment for me, having to process that through. And so, you know, spoiler alert, you know, I'm a Christian <laughs> today, right? So obviously that did not last, but you know what? I think I, I really, I really like, that's why I love talking to people who struggle with believing or struggle with even knowing if this is true, because I get it. Like mm -hmm. I was the person who asked a lot of questions. I was the person who wrestled too. And so I'm like, good, let's wrestle and hash this out together. And you can totally be honest with me about where you're at. If you just think this is just a fairy tale book, this Bible is a fairy tale made up, you could tell me that. Like, I'm not going to crumble because I think we need to be honest with our struggles with, with, with God, our struggles with religion, our struggles with belief. And that will help, help us to be honest and genuine when it comes to our discovery of truth. Yeah. Absolutely. So what happened where you went from, okay, I don't believe in God, and this is all probably a fairy tale to now I work for RZIM and I go around the world talking to people about this. Yeah, exactly. How did you go from one to one? <laughs> so, you know, there was a, it was a, a, I got to the point where I was like, okay, Alicia, if you're saying that there is, that the Christian God isn't there, that doesn't mean that there is no God. It doesn't, it just means Christianity isn't true. So just because you determine that one particular religion is not true does not mean that atheism automatically is. And that's the fault that a lot of people do. Hmm. They grow up in a particular religion. They say, I don't believe it anymore. Therefore, there's no God. And you can't do that because atheism needs its own case for atheism. What is the case? What is the argument that there is no God? What is the proof or evidence that there is no God? So even that needs its own set of criteria that need to be met. So when I say, look, you know, Christianity isn't true. It's like, okay, but I thought back over times in my life when I prayed certain prayers that nobody knew of, and yet it was answered in a very real way, like being like short of money. And this is, this is a much longer story that I'm condensing down, but being short of money for my first rent payment and somebody coming up to me and saying, God, tell me I need to give you this money right now. And my rent pay, rent pay was due that day. Gave, and they gave me the money right then. I was still short $10 for my rent payment. But when I went home that night and was packing up my, my room, I left up a box and there's a $10 bill lying on the ground underneath the box. Now, nobody knew I needed that money except for the person, my roommate that I was supposed to give the money to. So the person who came up to me and gave me that money didn't know. And they gave me exactly the amount that was needed knowing that God, knowing that I had the $10 at home sitting there underneath the box. And so, you know, it's like stuff like that. I was like, okay, Alicia, you could say Christianity isn't true, but something heard you. Something responded to that situation in your life. And so it's like, okay, well, you need to think, well, then is Hinduism true? Is 
is uh, Mormonism true? Is Jehovah's Witnesses true? Is Islam? Like it doesn't, you need to now look at the other things because something was there. And I think that was really what helped spark me back onto the journey to go and seek and look and see what really was there. Hmm. Well, Ruby, do you have any uh, follow-up question to that specific uh, thing? Because I'd love to find out. That still isn't the full story. I want I want to know, like, at what point did you come to Jesus and go, man, I'm good, because you had a, you got a master's in, is it criminology? I mean, you were oh, going social to justice, social yeah. justice. You were going yeah, a different so way. I know. Well, so, th- I mean, sorry, the end of the story then essentially is just that I was like, okay, I will give this God another shot. It took several weeks and I said, I'll give this God another shot. And I just, I think I just kind of felt like God became more real to me and really met me in those, in those moments of making himself maybe more his, his existence a little bit more clear to me than he had before. Mm. Um, and so I think, I think me being at the point of like, there is no God to me being the point, well, something was there that was inching me closer. And then me going back into like, just because Alicia, you may be struggling with a particular Bible topic or be struggling with trying to get the answer to a particular Bible question. And that's, what's making you doubt. It doesn't mean that there isn't an answer out there for you. It just means that you don't know the answer. Hmm. So just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer. And so I think just beginning to kind of just calm down from the emotional shock, begin to think it through again. And I think I really just felt like, you know what, God is really letting me know that he's there, that he, this Christian God is the real God. And I think that helped me to just kind of say, okay, I'm going to go back in this direction. Um, and so yeah, I got my master's in social justice. So I really wanted to work in the developing world and deal with healthcare and poverty and, um, solar energy and in and, and places that didn't have electricity to, you know, you can use solar energy to help um, clean water, stuff like that, you know, to help just people in, in the developing world with various things. And that's really what I, I'd wanted to go into. And that's why I got my master's in that. My very first paper actually was on healthcare in America and trying to fix the healthcare system in America. <laughs> you learn that's a big problem pro- process and then you move on to other things. <laughs> oh. Wow. So, but then you, how did you start talking about apologetics and how did you, how did you become an RZIM speaker? What what was that? So, you know, um, my questions continued in college in terms of deep questions. And one day I pulled, I had to go to the library to do research on a paper and I pulled a book off the shelf called The Case for Faith. Mm. I didn't, I'd never heard of apologetics. I'd never heard of um, really feel like I knew people went to seminary to be a pastor, but I didn't really even know what that meant. Um, and so I pulled this book off the shelf and it's a case of faith and I open it up and it's like answering all of these questions that I too had been answering just using the Bible because that's all I had. That's all I knew. So as a teenager, I'm just looking like, why does God allow suffering? I don't know. Let me dig in the Bible and see what I can come up with. So I would just look in the Bible for answers to things. And all of a sudden I see this book where people are answering the same questions I've been trying to answer. And They've got like, you know, eight PhDs and they're like philosophers and theologians and this field is called apologetics. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is what I've been longing to like study and learn about. And so Lee Strobel's The Case for Faith was just really eye-opening for me. Another, in the, because it was for the first time in my life, while I was in my undergrad, it gave a name to the subject that I loved so much. And I just didn't even know it was a field. I just thought it was me asking questions. Um, Fast forward uh, many years, I wrestled whether or not I should get my uh, master's in, in apologetics or social justice. And I was like, Alicia, apologetics is going to go nowhere. You're not going to be do anything with it. 
nobody's ever going to ask you to speak anywhere. So I was like, that's going to be a waste of a degree. So I didn't do it. I went into social justice instead. That didn't work out. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I ended up applying um, to uh, our training facility in England Mm -hmm. at at RCIM. And I was there for a year and they asked me, you know, would you want to intern with us? Um, now I, now I applied to that program six years or so after I got my master's five, six years. So you're talking, this is years after I got my master's and I applied and they said, do you want to be an intern with us? And so I started, I was an intern with RZM for two years, um, in the Boston area, which I loved. Um, and then I went from there to being a full-on speaker over five years ago now. Wow. Is that the Oxford center of Christian apologetics? Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Wow. Well, uh, I have one more question uh, leading up to our big faith question, which Ruby's going to ask you. Um, your bio mentions that you love addressing confusing or misleading information about the Christian faith. What do you think are the predominant misconceptions about Christianity in the culture right now? Oh, boy. <laughs> I think, okay. Yeah. So we could do a whole two-hour podcast on these. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I think in the culture right now, and and I will tell you, I don't necessarily fully blame the culture because I Mm -hmm. think Christians have to own a lot of the way that we've, our PR has been horrible the last several years. Um, And I would talk about even going back 20 years, I think we've done a lot of bad PR in the public spectacle. So I think number one, I think the public perception of Christians is that we hate people who are same-sex attracted. Mm -hmm. Um. They, I think that the case for that is a lot stronger than maybe people give credence to. I've, I've heard things, not so much in recent years, but probably going back 20 years, I would hear Christians say certain things that were pretty shocking to me. Like that, that's not how Christ would respond to somebody who's same-sex attracted and, and he loves them, he values them. Um, and, and so I would think, I think that they think that we uh, hate people who are same-sex attracted. That is not true at all. Um, I think that people think um that the bible supports oppression mm-hmm. it supports it supports slavery it supports supports racism and a lot of that has to do with the fact that um slave owners use the bible to keep slaves in check um we've got well-known theologian jonathan edwards the, the great evangelist george whitefield where they george whitefield they say um at the time he was speaking which is in the 1800s they estimate that 40% of America heard George Whitefield speak. Now you got to understand there's no radio or TV, mm. which means 40% of Americans heard him speak in person. Wow. That is how big his reach was. Um, you know, he advocated for slavery to become legal in Georgia. So mm. he could have slaves on his orphanage uh, in Georgia. Um, Jonathan Edwards is a huge theologian. has influenced some of our big theologians of today. He was a slave owner. He was able to spend eight hours or so, whatever, however long a day with God, digging into the scriptures because he had slaves doing work. Wow. Um, and so, you know, so some, I think culture thinks that the, that therefore Christianity is not, is not for, um, I, well, you know, it has this oppressive mindset, it's this pro-slavery mindset. Um, I think culture also thinks, honestly, this might sound weird to some people, but I think culture honestly thinks that religious people are stupid, including Christians, that I would hear that a lot, especially being in, in, um, around going to a lot of really prestigious schools. Um, you know, oh, Alicia, it's cute that you believe in this fairy tale, but because I go to this prestigious school and I'm a person of rationality and logic and reasoning, that's why I don't believe this stuff. You know, if you were as smart as me, then you would believe these things. And then we sit down and have a discussion and they realize, oh, 
maybe she actually has some really good historical points here or some really good philosophy or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, well, I didn't realize that Christians had this kind of knowledge. And so you saw the disconnect where I think a lot of people think that Christians are stupid or ignorant. Once again, some bad PR has done mm -hmm. that. Okay, we haven't done the best. Uh, and so I think that that is an issue too um, that, that people have with Christians. So I think there's a lot of things. Yeah. Um, that was just three. I mean, yeah. it can go on and on and on. Um, yeah, I, you know, my whole life is correcting those things, but those are, I think some of the, some of the things that people just think, or they think Christians are just so nasty and mean because they think that they have the only way that mm -hmm. Jesus is the only way to heaven. What about people who do so many good things and have other religions? What about the Hindus? What about the Sikhs? What about people, what about the Buddhists? What are the people who do such wonderful, nice things and they don't believe in your Jesus the way you do? And you're saying only you have the message? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a problem for people. And so, yeah, there's a lot of different reasons why we're anti-science. We don't believe in science, which is not true. And so a lot of it is correcting our bad PR. Yeah. Well, that was a great segue, what you just said about good people, Buddhism, Sikhs and stuff. Ruby, you've got the tough deep faith question that we were going to ask her today why don't you go yes, for it yes i do so my question is what makes christianity different from the other religion like buddhism or hinduism ah okay that's a great great question well ruby how much time do we have my friend <laughs> no, let me give you a few couple ways <laughs> Because I know Ruby, you and I will probably be able to talk for a long time about a lot of these really good things. So what makes Christianity different than Buddhism or Hinduism? Um, well, let me speak a little generally only because um, Buddhism and Hinduism have differences. And I, if I do compare Christianity to each one specifically, we're going to be here all day. So let me talk a little bit about the way Christianity is unique from some of these Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism. Okay. okay. Uh, you know, Number one, obviously, Christianity believes in one God, okay? Hinduism obviously has, you know, 330 million gods. Um, so it is, a, it is not a monotheistic belief system. It is a plural, uh, a, there's pluralism with, involved with it, where there's many, many, many gods. Um, Buddhism, Buddhism is a whole different kind of ballgame because there, you know, there is a sense of, of God, divine being and certain kind of aspects of Buddhism, but Buddhism isn't necessarily focused quite so much on that. It's focused much more on the relinquishing of desire um, and, and, and these kind of things and, 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 and not being so attached to pleasure and things of this world. So Buddhism it has almost a different framework. Um, Christianity kind of comes at things very different. It says that there is one God and it says that there is something fundamental about the nature of humanity that um, cannot be fixed by humanity. So both Buddhism and Hinduism will talk about there are issues within humanity, but it encourages us to be able to fix some of these things. If you want to break the cycle of reincarnation, for example, or you want to be, or you want to be reincarnated in something good in your next life, you need to do some good things now so that you can be reincarnated into something good in your next life. Okay. So you have the ability to make changes within yourself that will impact the future. Okay. Christianity doesn't, Christianity is almost as the opposite. It says, you know what? There's actually nobody who's good. None, none are, none are good. None have the ability to be able to go into the next life, stand before God, say, God, I've done a bunch of good things and you can let me into heaven now. 
Christianity doesn't allow for that. There is no reincarnation in, within Christianity. So when you die in Christianity, you go to he heaven or you go to hell. And so you don't have the ability to be good enough to get into heaven, according to Christianity. Okay, so you're going to see even a difference there with the idea of, let's use the word maybe saving yourself, helping yourself, fixing yourself. That ability does not lie with you. In Christianity, that ability actually lies with the man, Jesus Christ, who Christians say is more than just a man, but he's also God himself. And so within Christianity, what essentially it's going to tell you is that, you know what, because you in order to get to this next level, it, you know, it, it, maybe in Hinduism, it would be like, you know, to, um, you know, re reincarnate as, as, in a certain kind of way or to reach another level um, in some of these different belief systems and kind of Eastern religions and Eastern cultures. The idea is that you can work your way there. Christianity says, actually, you can never be good enough to get God's approval to get into heaven. So it doesn't even, it says that essentially we can keep trying. It's almost like if you think of this mountain, and oftentimes I hear people say, you know, different religions have different pathways up the mountains, but we're all gonna, trying to get to the top of the mountain. In one religion, the pathway might be crooked. Another religion, the pathway might be straight, but eventually we're all gonna get to the top of that mountain. And the top of that mountain is gonna be the destination we're all trying to achieve. Christianity says the destination on top of the mountain is very different between all the different religions. Number one, what's at the top of the mountain? Is it many, many gods or is it one God? Um, are we gods ourselves? Are we gonna find ourselves at the top of the mountain? Like what's really at the top of the mountain? But the, but the more important thing that Christianity says is you, there is no point in you even trying to climb the mountain because you will never reach the top of the mountain. So God comes down from the mountain and he comes down to us. And essentially what he does is he says, look, you can't do it. So I'm actually going to gift you. I'm going to clothe you almost like you're putting on a jacket. I'm putting on, I'm going to give you my goodness, clothe you essentially in my goodness. So the only thing that makes you good is the me and you. Hmm. And now because of that, when, and th this has to be tied with Jesus dying. This is tied with Jesus dying on the cross. And, and the fact that because Jesus pays the penalty. God puts the penalty of all the bad stuff that we do. He puts it all on Jesus. Jesus willingly dies. And then he rises from the dead. He controls our future. He controls death because that couldn't even keep him dead. We are now gifted his goodness onto us. And so now when we die, we stand before God and we don't say, look, I did a bunch of good things. Now you can let me into heaven. We say, I have never been good enough. I can't earn it, but I have received Jesus's gift of offering his, 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 his goodness onto me. I've received this by believing in who he is. And I am saying, because of who Jesus is, God, thank you for welcoming me into your home. So that's one way in terms of how, how Christianity is different from the Eastern religions. It's this idea that Christianity doesn't allow us to, to save ourselves from our future. We're not, we don't have the ability to do that. And I, in the Eastern religions, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, and the like are going to put the power in your hands. Any thoughts on that, Ruby? Not right now. I'm still processing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all right. I did want to follow up with one question before, Ruby, you ask the next one. Um, Alicia, you had mentioned that Christianity gets a bad 
PR because of, you know, this idea that uh, we hate people who are same-sex attracted or um, because, uh, you know, there's just one way into heaven. And how, how would you suggest <laughs> that you reconcile? You just shared about what Christianity believes, one God, either heaven or hell at the end, right? And so as bad as it is perceived, it's still, it's the truth. I I wouldn't say the same thing about, uh, you know, hating people who are same-sex attracted, although I agree with you that that is definitely a perception. Um, But the Bible does talk about um, homosexuality as well. So how do you balance the truth of what God's word says, um, specifically in this context, uh, about Christianity being unique and saying that this Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him um, versus this idea of that's so unloving and unfair to the rest of the world. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you were sneaking two questions in there. And if you did, you did a good job of doing that, Janelle. <laughs> I'm an expert host now. No, um, yeah. Well, let me just say something very, very briefly. Um, on just that first response about, cause I guess I set myself up for that one. Um, you know, in the sense of Jesus, uh, the, you know, Christians, you know, hating people, um, who are same sex attracted. Um, and let me just say this, um, you know, I think one of the things this, one of the verses in the Bible, I remind myself of so much is a verse that I was just kind of sharing with Ruby, which essentially says that there is none, no person who's good. No, not mm-hmm. one. Essentially, there's no. And when I think about that, I actually believe that verse. I actually believe that when it says that there's no one, that it actually means that. And because I am someone, I belong to the no one who is not good as well. And so when I look around me at anybody, no matter what it is that they've done or, or are doing, I see myself in the same shoes as them. When in terms of goodness, when in terms of, I, I think our problem in society is that we determine goodness based on comparison with each other. Oh, look, I've never been in prison. Therefore, I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. Friends, you and I are not the moral standard here. We don't determine goodness based on comparing ourselves to our neighbor. We, can, we, we determine goodness based on comparing ourselves to the standard of goodness. And when I compare myself to the standard of goodness, I fall short. And so what I think I see oftentimes in Christian circles is Christians say, oh, I am such a good person. I'm a Christian. I've done a lot of good things. Look at that person over there who is in a same-sex relationship. The Bible is very clear on that marriage, romantic marriage and sexual activity is to be done in marriage between a man and a woman. That's clear. But it's also equally as clear that there's no good person, no, not one. And so the problem is that Christians oftentimes focus on, oh, well, sexual activity in marriage, heterosexually, well, I'm okay, so therefore I'm a good person. And they don't focus on this fact that there still is no good person. And that's what allows us to have horrible attitudes towards people. And so I think one of the things that we as Christians need to do is really begin to evaluate who we think we are. The standard is Jesus. And in comparison, I fall and I fail along with everybody else. And so moving on from that, yes, I do think that Jesus is, is the only way to heaven. But you know what, though? I would say this. 
I have tried to look at some of the other options that there are. So before I talk about why I think Jesus is the, the best way to heaven, let me, let's look at the other options. Some of the other options can be what we already discussed about. Number one, I have the ability to get there myself. So I have the ability to do a bunch of good things to get there myself. And if I'm good enough, I can get to heaven. So let me, let's think about what this might mean. Ruby, I know that you haven't been awake for very long because it's 545 in the morning. But <laughs> have you kept track? Have you counted all of the good things you did yesterday and today? Have you kept a little notebook and kept track of all the good things you've done? No, I think no one can really do that. I mean, it's hard to, like, how do you determine what's good and bad? Yes, that's, that is so important. That is exact. Okay, I love that you said that, okay? <laughs> Janelle, I'm going to trust that you haven't kept that notebook either of no. good things, okay? I haven't, Ruby, so the three of us are in the same category, okay? I did a lot of bad, Not though. only have I not. I did yell at my kids. <laughs> 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 Let's just confess. <laughs> We wouldn't have known. I, I may not have today. I don't know. I just threw that in there. <laughs> I'm a sinner too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So not only have the three of us not kept track of how many good deeds we've done, but like Ruby said, how do we even know? Like, how do I even know to write in my good notebook of what I've done wrong? And so if I, if me getting to heaven is off of my own good deeds, I have two problems. Number one, I've got to keep track of all my good deeds and make sure I do enough good deeds. Secondly, I got to know what's morally right or wrong, or I may think a good deed is a good deed, but it's really a bad deed. Mm. And number three, to make it more complicated, how many good deeds do I then need to get into heaven? Is it 10,000? Is it 20,000? How many is it? I don't know the number. Do I have to do more good than bad? Like, what's the number of good deeds I need to get there? So for me, that just seems, that way of getting to have it on my own just seems impossible to succeed at. Because what if the number for me to get to heaven is 20,000 good deeds and I die at 19,999 good deeds? Well, now I've still missed out. So I've looked at that as a possible way. And I'm like, that just doesn't seem to make sense to me. That also seems like it's an impossible way and I would never get there. So I've looked at other ways. Is there a prophet or a great teacher or a Buddha or another divine being that says that they're the way? And that when I read other belief systems, what it seems to me is that these belief systems seem to have a prophet or a teacher who says, let me point you to the right way. I'm giving you a new teaching. I'm helping you to understand yourself. I'm giving you new writings, but they don't claim to be the way. They just claim to, once again, point you in a direction to another way. So I can't seem to go to any kind of prophet or great man or holy person who is going to be able to give me any kind of insight. So then I look at Jesus and I look at the fact that um, what God says is, look, you aren't always going to figure it out on your own. In fact, you will never figure it out on your own. So the reason why Jesus is the only way, it might sound mean to certain people, but when you look at the alternatives that we just talked about, I think Jesus being the only way is actually freeing for us as humans. Because it means I don't have to worry about keeping that notebook every day. 
I don't have to worry about, did I do enough good deeds today to make it there? That idea of being so fearful of, have I been good enough, is not something that the Christian has to worry about. Because number one, they know they already aren't good enough, and they know that because of what Jesus did for them on the cross, that they can be guaranteed that they are forgiven for what they've done wrong. And their entrance into heaven is based off of that forgiveness given to us. And, and you know, in, in, in 1 John, it says this. Um, it says, my dear children, I believe this is 1 John. I could be wrong. But it says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the, own, of the whole world. So it says, if we, if we do sin, we have an advocate, and that is Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, I do think Jesus is the only way. And I'm actually thankful that he's the only way because the other ways sound horrific to me. Mm. They sound paralyzing. They sound really sad and really depressing. Ruby, uh, you have the next question anyway, but uh, if you want to follow up on that, go right ahead. No, I will ask, um, so how would you encourage people that who is really unsure about following Jesus, like who has still have lots of questions or doubts or just afraid that they might lose something if they choose to follow Jesus? Like what are the encouragements you would give? Oh, Ruby, I thank you for that question. Um, because I think there's a lot of people who have that question that would be listening, Ruby. Um, you know, I can make Christianity sound, you know, help people to understand it and that kind of thing. But there are many people that just don't, still don't know if it's true, number one, or if it is, it would bring hardship in their life. It wouldn't make things easier necessarily for them. Um, let me first, let me speak to that first one real quick and then I'm going to the second one. If you are somebody who says, I just don't know if this is true, I say that's a great place to be in. Because I think the position of saying, I don't know, is the starting point that we all should have. Because what you're saying is, I am going to let what knowledge I gain from learning about this to help me to know what truth is. So you're saying I will come into this and allow the information to lead me to truth. So for somebody saying, look, I'm not really that sure. I would say, number one, I wasn't either. So I would encourage somebody to pick up a book. Like I love the case for faith. I just think it's really helpful. And it asks, it answers some of the biggest questions. I love Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Faith, The Case for Christ. Um, he goes on. There's a lot of them. Pick up some of his. And, he's, and they're honest questions that, that he seeks answers for with different theologians and philosophers and scientists and the like, doctors, medical doctors even. I would encourage people, number two, to look at the Bible. Read the life of Jesus. Read what he says. Read how he interacts with humans. If we were to create a God that, that we wanted, we would want a God that was merciful, that was kind, that was forgiving, that got angry when people did wrong things, that got angry at injustice, but stood up for the oppressed people in society. When you read the life of Jesus, you see 
that kind of God in him because he is God. And you see that kind of God and people encountering Jesus and falling in love with him and, and just saying like, you know what? I think what he brings to the table is what I find to be beautiful. I think is really impactful. I don't want you to follow me. I don't want you to follow a human theologian. I want you to follow him. So, so encounter him. Be willing to look. Be willing to look if you're, if you're not sure. Number three, do not think that you need 100% certainty in order to believe that Christianity is true. Because if that's what you want, you will not get it. Number two, if you did get it, you still wouldn't believe. Okay, let me tell you why you wouldn't believe. There were people who saw Jesus walk on water, saw him heal people, saw him raise people from the dead, saw him do miracles, and you know what? They did not believe. He gave them very clear evidence that he was more than a man, that he wasn't just an ordinary guy. And you know what? They didn't believe. It wasn't until after his resurrection that people started believing. So don't think that you, if you had 100% proof, if God was to appear right in front of you today and say, I'm God, that you would automatically believe. But number two, you do not need 100% proof to believe in something. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, let's say you were sick and you went to the doctor and you said, I have a horrible headache. My head hurts and my stomach hurts. And the doctor said, okay, let me give you this particular medicine. But this medicine, we don't really, it's been around for a long time. Billions and billions of people have taken it and they're okay, but we're not really sure how it works. But we know it works because it's worked in so many people. We do know it can cause some liver damage if not taken correctly, but I think it'll be okay taking it. So you decide, my, headache, my head hurts, I'll take the medicine, okay? You don't need 100% proof how exactly it works in your body because the medical community doesn't know. <laughs> But you know it's, it, you have enough information to say it seems like this is going to be okay. If you have, I didn't just make up that example. If you've ever taken um, paracetamol or acetaminophen or a Tylenol, then you've taken what scientists call the enigma pill, where they know it works, but they aren't exactly sure how. But yet we take it. And nobody would think you were crazy for taking it. Because, why? Because you do not need 100% proof to believe something is true. You do not have to give your mother a DNA test in order to know that she's your mother. There's other ways that you can tell that. And so I would say those three things would be key for somebody who's saying, I'm not sure if this is true. Look at Jesus, recognize that you, you ultimately want truth and, find, and, then, and being in a place of I don't know will help you to find truth. Read, read the case for faith and look at some of these, these books that are really helpful. And third, recognize that you don't need 100% proof. You just need to be able to say, this, based off everything I've read, this, this seems like what makes sense of Jesus' existence, morality, the evidence of the resurrection, the credibility of the Bible. It makes the most sense that Jesus really was God himself and he is the only way to heaven. So I would encourage you, if you're questioning, if you're struggling, do the investigation. Do the investigation. Um, now, in terms of your second question about 
you know, what do you say to people who it will cost them a lot? Um, Ruby, it, it, it will cost people a lot. Not everybody. I think in America, we have it very easy. We may not always have it easy, but we do now. Let me share with you a quick story of a friend I have um, who left a particular belief system. Um, she is not American. She comes from a very religious country. Left that particular belief system. And as a result of her leaving that belief system, she moved to a different country. And the people back in her home country attacked her brother and beat him because they couldn't get to her to punish her for switching to Christianity from the belief system she was. So they beat her brother up. They beat him so bad that he lost his eyesight. He was now blind. Now, some of you, if you come from Eastern cultures, you will understand honor shame culture. And when you are blind in this particular culture, that is shame. You've brought shame on the family because you can't see you're blind. And so the family blamed her for the shame, for shame that she became a Christian, the shame that now her brother was beaten and he was now blind. And she, that brought shame to the family again, all because she became a Christian. And the brother finally decided the shame was too much and he couldn't handle it anymore and he took his own life. Because she became a Christian. Not long after that, her mother passed away. If something, I don't remember if it was an illness or something happened, but of course the family blamed her as well. And she is now alone. Family has rejected her. She's never gotten to say goodbye to her mother or brother. Because she became a Christian, it has cost her everything. But if you were to talk to her, Ruby, you would see that her every breath, her every breath is fueled by her love for Jesus Christ. She has nothing else. She's in a country on her own, working her way to get food and those kind of things. But her daily breath, her daily food, her daily energy is to tell others about Jesus Christ. She has been beaten. She's ended up in the hospital. She has been close to death for the fact that she tells people about Jesus Christ and they get angry with her. She has suffered, but there is not an ounce of her that will turn her back because it has been worth it. I guess what happens to some people, Ruby, is that when they get to the point that they say that this is true, their eyes then turn from having a successful life here on earth to having a beautiful eternity with God. And when their mind shifts to that eternal perspective, in a world where there won't be any more pain or tears or suffering, they are able to put up with the pain and suffering now in lieu of the blissful, wonderful world that is to come. The hope of the Christian, what gets a Christian through the day is not who wins a political election. <laughs> it's not who's in office. It's not who the government is. It's not what job they get. It's not if they become successful or if they make a little bit of money. What fuels a Christian, what gives a Christian hope and a smile is that one day they will be with their father in heaven. They will be with God. 
And that means the things that we go through in this life are temporary as we move towards that eternal future. And so for those who recognize that this is going to be of a, a great cost, that is what they weigh. And that is what my friend weighs every single day, is that she will continue to go through the hardships of this life for the sake of standing before Jesus Christ and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Wow. It's a powerful story, Alicia. Thank you for sharing that illustration. I, I agree with you, man. Uh, we have it so easy here. And uh, <laughs> as evidenced by how crazy people become whenever they think that they're going to lose something. And uh, it's nothing compared to what people are losing in different countries uh, when they profess Jesus. Um, the final question I, Ruby's going to ask, um, but real quick, I you had mentioned a couple of resources which are fantastic, A Case for Faith, A Case for Christ, both by Lee Strobel. I just wanted to add, um, Ruby, you and I watched The Case for Christ, the movie, right? Yeah, I think we did. Didn't we watch it together? Yes. That movie? I think we watched it with Tati, like a couple, yeah, <laughs> Tati from Germany. And um, hi, movie. Tati, if you're listening. I know. And so that was a great resource. And then I just uh, read Unbelievable by Justin Brierley, who was on this program uh, yeah, a couple Justin months Brierley, ago. Oh, I, yeah, I love him. And that book was great. It was a really great read. Um, his book, Unbelievable. Uh, it just kind of goes through a lot of different objections to the Christian faith. And so I just wanted to share that as well. Um, Ruby, if you had any follow-up questions, but then I'm going to let you ask the last question here. No, I'll ask the last question. So um, the Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey to a restoration, love, eternity, and redemption that you can find in following Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you, which of those that know you the most in your life right now and why? You know, you know, I, I was a criminal justice major. And as a result of that, I, I started doing prison ministry very young, probably about 19, the first time I went into a men's maximum security prison and a men's medium security prison. I started in juvenile detention centers a few years prior. Um, and I remember going into one particular prison in New York where I'm from and going to the church services there and seeing men who've been convicted of some of the most heinous crimes lift their hands in the air and find a home with the God who offers all people forgiveness and redemption and restoration. And I think the lessons I learned in in, those, in the prison system have helped me reflect on things that I see all around us. Um, it helps me to reflect on me. And I think the thing that ha I've found so beautiful about the Christian message is that I, I can always come back and find a home in it. Um, no, I've never been in prison. No, I've, you know, <laughs> No, I've never done drugs and, you know, I've never, no, I've never done, you could, the list can go on. But it doesn't mean I haven't failed myself. It doesn't mean I haven't let myself down or disappointed myself. And I, there doesn't mean there have been times when I haven't had to crawl back to Jesus 
and just say, I'm sorry and I'm humiliated and I, I'm a failure. And to the fact that we have a beautiful story in the Gospel of Luke that talks about a, a son who ran away from his father and enjoyed all the pleasure, enjoyed many pleasures in life, only to find that the pleasures let him down. And at some point, the pleasures don't give pleasure anymore. We all will grow weary of the pleasures of life at some point. And so he figures life at home as a, as a servant of my father is better than what I'm dealing with now, with no food. And so he goes back home, waiting to hear the wrath, waiting to hear the shame and the scorn and the disappointment from that father. But yet he sees the opposite. He sees a father who runs to him because he's so excited that he's come home. He meets a father who embraces him. He meets a father who says, let's throw a party for him. But wait, dad, I, you, don't, you, you don't know what I've done yet. Like, I, I have to tell you how I failed you. Like, I've got to tell you how disappointed you. I've got to tell you how you're going to be so angry with me. Yet the father doesn't care. Because what the father cares about, his love for us was never based on our good things. It was based on the fact that we are his child. And so no matter what good or bad I do, it can't change that fact. And that beautiful story of the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke reminds us that we can come home, that there's forgiveness, there's restoration, there's redemption. Our life is not always, it will not be defined by the worst things that we've ever done. It is defined by the one thing that Jesus Christ did for us. That defines who I am. That defines my relationship with God. And so I think, Ruby, for me, I think that is the thing that stands out the most in, in my life when it comes to Christianity um, is the fact that I can crawl back and I can receive forgiveness. And in turn, because of what I have received from God, I can also turn around and offer that to other people. And so that's what I'm thankful for. That, I think, going back to our original question that you asked me, Ruby, is one of the things that I find different in Christianity versus other belief systems. So many other, so many other religions tell us God will only accept us because of what we do. And I, in Christianity, I have a God that accepts us in spite of everything I've done wrong and full awareness and full knowledge of it and accepts me anyways. That idea of grace and forgiveness, I don't find in other religions. I don't at all. One religion, one of the world's most, one of the world's major religions, you die and you go to, you know, heaven or whatever, and there is not even a guarantee that God will even be there. Your eternity doesn't even include him. That is the complete opposite of Christianity, where God wants to be so near that he comes to earth to be with us. And so I think there's so many things that make Christianity unique from the character of God to the care to who Jesus was, the cross, to the way that our relationship with God is based off of not what we do to the fact that we can find redemption and forgiveness. I mean, the list goes on. I just, as I look at the other religions, they don't offer those things. And that's why when we begin to look at some of these things, it may sound at first that Christianity is horrible or mean, but when you look at what else is out there, 
you actually find yourself running to it, praying that it actually is the truth. Wow. Well, Alicia Wood, thank you so much for being here. Ruby, thank you for co-hosting. This was a really special conversation. And Alicia, what you just said about God dwelling with us, my husband and I were just reading this morning in the end of Revelations, where it talks about uh, the New Jerusalem, where God is dwelling with people, and uh, just painted a beautiful picture of that union and that that reunion when we get to be with him. And it's uh, something to look forward to. Uh, If you're listening to this, I hope you are encouraged as well. Thank you guys. Until next time. Thank you, friend, for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is a grace-filled, Christ-centered podcast for those who are wandering, wondering, or simply needing to be encouraged in their faith journeys. I hope you'll come back next week when I'll most likely be sharing a conversation with another guest about their journey towards finding something real. And if you're on Instagram, please come find me. On Fridays, I share Instagram Live podcast recaps at 11.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're over there on the gram, you can join me for some fun live awkwardness. (laughs) And finally, if you're someone who was encouraged by today's podcast and you have friends who would benefit from hearing the story shared here, would you go ahead and share? You can do that by hitting subscribe, leaving a review, or sharing a link. Your telling others about this podcast helps bring other people along. And finally, just so you know, if you only remember one thing about this podcast, I hope it is this. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus Christ loves you, and a real relationship with Him is a treasure trove of restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. He's offering that gift to you today. I pray you believe it.